Welcome to Growth for Good, the show about amplifying impact for nonprofits, charities, and social purpose businesses. I'm Daniel Francovilla, a marketing advisor and brand strategist and your host. On this show, I interview leaders at nonprofits and social enterprises and the organizations that support them. We discuss the wins, challenges, and best practices when it comes to communications, marketing, fundraising, and impact. Let's dive into today's episode. All right. So welcome to the Growth for Good podcast. Thank you so much for being here. No problem. Of course. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Um, so we're going to get started by asking for a little bit of an intro on um, Volunteer Toronto and on your uh, journey there as well. Sure. So Volunteer Toronto is Canada's largest volunteer centre. We have nearly 50 years experience wow. connecting volunteers to the causes that need them. We provide training to nonprofits on how to build meaningful volunteer programs, and we build connections to break down barriers so that volunteers can get involved. Um, myself, I've held marketing communications roles at the organization for six years. I started as marketing communications manager, and then I've grown into director of strategic communications, which means I'm also responsible for uh, nonprofit engagement and grant applications and revenue generation. Wow. But my latest is that I'm actually stepping into the interim executive director role. So uh, we are covering a parental leave and the organization yep. has asked me to step up. Um, I'm really excited to put my strategic communication skill set to the, to the test in this new role uh, and see how it goes over the next 12 months as a learning experience. Well, congratulations on your kind of uh, evolution uh, within the organization. And I think to have that role of, you know, being le leadership in the organization yeah. with the lens of marketing communications is, is super helpful because I think that's one of the main, you know, functions other than, of course, running, managing the team and the finances, but also, you know, how are we communicating the work that we're doing effectively? Because if you're not talking about it and no one's talking about you, then <laughs> what's actually happening, right? Definitely. The spokesperson component of the role right. comes very naturally. And it's it's weird to media coach yourself, but here <laughs> I am. <laughs> you're doing it. Um, so I guess prior to this role, how did you end up in the nonprofit or charitable sector? Yeah, so I, I didn't necessarily start my career in the charitable sector. I started um, working for an engineering firm, an international engineering firm, B2B business. Um, mm. And as I spent a few years there, I realized I really wanted a mission to align with. I really realized that, you know, the nonprofit sector was probably where I wanted to spend my time. I wanted mm. to contribute not just to the bottom line, but to a mission, a vision. Right. Um, and it's a little bit coincidental, I feel, that I ended up at Volunteer Toronto because I actually had years of experience mobilizing students to get involved in volunteer experiences. I accessed volunteering as a job seeker myself to get that first role. Hmm. And then when the role of Volunteer Toronto came up, I was like, wow, I think I'm like beautifully positioned <laughs> to take this on. Um, so that's kind of how I started my journey uh, with Volunteer Toronto and Amazing. the charitable sector. Yeah, so you had basically transitioned from, you know, being active as a volunteer, getting involved, Move from the corporate sector to nonprofit. That's exactly been, it. Been there since. Amazing. Six years. Yeah. Six years later. <laughs> so, um, 
when it, when it comes to things that you know you're passionate about, let's say outside of your day to day, what are some causes or initiatives that you know you personally um, either have volunteered with or choose to support? Sure. So I've held a lot of different types of volunteer roles. I volunteered for quite a few media outlets for practical experience. Okay. So community-run radio stations. I was the president of the board. Nice. Um, I was at one point a TV cooking show host okay. for a small community uh, TV show. Um, but, you know... Really, volunteerism, I think, in general, is what I'm passionate about. I can't get away from the mission and cause that I'm (laughs) supporting right now. Um, I just am so aligned to the mission. It makes me stay and want to stay with the organization um, and give as much as I can. Also, you know, I realize the personal alignment with different health charities. So, um, you know, throughout my life supporting different organizations and lately, Um, prostate cancer is something that's impacted my family. And so Mm -hmm. I'm really committed to, you know, I'm not, I'm not growing a mustache this month, but (laughs) my partner's growing a mustache and, um, just awareness in terms of like de-stigmatizing, um, getting checked for that is something I I really wish, uh, more people would do. Amazing. But yeah, it's so, it's so important to, you know, have these, have these causes we're passionate about, but then also to, again, tell people about them and, and help spread awareness. So thank you for sharing. Yeah. Now, um, when it comes to, I mean, on a related note today on social media, through email newsletters, everywhere, there's a lot of content. There's a lot mm. to compete with when it comes to digital advertising, when it comes to, again, video content, social. So um, do you have any kind of recommendations or, or advice around standing out or what it means to really stand out in such a crowded online space? Yes, I sometimes talk about uh, the online channels that we leverage as real estate. And right. it's really hard to find that piece of real estate in your audience's mind. And so um, what I've found has been most effective over the past year, couple of years is actually not necessarily playing as much in the proactive space, but in the reactive space. So I think that as comms professionals, we might overlook the ability to, um, or the the value and the strength of responding to another's message. So for example, there's a big report that was released today in Toronto, the Social Capital Study. Um, Responding to that report can be just as effective as if you're doing proactive campaigns or initiatives. So being really on top of the relevancy moments, reports released, Mm -hmm. media articles, um, movements of other nonprofits, and putting your voice out there in response can just as much cut through as months and months of planning for a proactive campaign. That's incredible. I think that's also really helpful advice for organizations that have limited resources who don't have a ton of their own original content well, there are things you can actually go ahead and respond to and relate that back to your own mission and vision and what your audience cares about as well. So exactly, love that tip as well. Um, now, of course, you work for an organization, but as an individual, that also plays a role, right? Your yeah. personal brand plays a role in your own career success and success of the organization, um, especially because, of course, you have a public-facing role. So mm. um, when it comes to your own personal brand, um, maybe everything to do from your social content to some networking that you've done, mm. how, how has that played a role? And, and, and do you have any advice for others that are looking to put themselves out there? A bit? Yeah, so um, I think I look at networking as a relationship-building tactic. So for your personal brand, for your personal growth. Mm-hmm. And I think investing in 
some high quality relationships within your network or getting to know people beyond just, you know, you see them at a networking event, Mm -hmm. but actually spending time with them, you know, having a holiday event with them or bringing people together in your network and spending real time with them has how is how I've strengthened my particular network. Um, So, you know, I, I think there's, this incentive to go to as many networking events as possible to meet as many people. But really, when I reflect on my network, it's been a few specific individuals who I've had really strong relationships with, and they've helped me expand my network through their networks. Right. So not necessarily having yourself a broad network, but a few people who you're really close with who then they can tap their network. Amazing. Um, So that's what I would recommend in terms of starting it. I also feel like you can make the most out of different interactions with people, which builds your personal brand. So I love this example of meetings. A lot of people hate meetings. Mm-hmm. A lot of people find meetings are boring. But I think I've built a lot of internal um, strength around my brand by taking meetings seriously. So bringing things to the table that are really valuable to other people around the table and not just sitting back and being like, when is this over, but actually adding value and in trickle effect, uh, the whole organization starts to bring those practices to the table and suddenly you have an incredibly effective meeting and a great personal brand for me who's exemplifying that. So um, that's one little, you know, internal example as well. That's amazing. So yeah, so it sounds like quality over quantity, right, when you're starting out especially and those finding those amplifiers that can help you to, to expand. And then, like you just mentioned now, like really, you know, showing that value in, in a meeting as an example. So yeah, great, uh, great suggestions there as well. Um, now, we know that in this sector, there's always challenges, whether it's to do with funding or whether it's to do with um, personnel or, or whatever it is, there's always things that we're up against uh, in the sector. Is there any examples that you can share of challenges and then maybe how you've uh, been able to work against them? Sure. So I think that everyone faces the challenge of time. Mm. And I think the utmost challenge within that is prioritization of time. And um, within that, so sub, sub, sub (laughs) challenges here is figuring out what the challenge is that you're trying to solve or the problem is that you're trying to solve. Right. So I think a big part of my role over the last six years has been trying to identify whether a problem is related to the amount of traffic coming through to a particular digital call to action or whether it's actually um, the language and an optimization problem. Right, conversions versus traffic. Exactly, exactly. And that's given me, like, figuring that out and developing the data systems to speak to that has given me a lot of um, weight in being able to push back on certain tactics or to communicate prioritization. So um, I've been in many organizations, other nonprofits as well, through my volunteer experiences, where there's an assumption as to what the communications tactics should be. Whereas if you walk people through those different sets of data and identify you know, okay, you have a lot of traffic, but they're not converting, then the solution could be a simple button or text swap versus, you know, a massive social campaign or pitch to media. Um, So like these dreams and visions that people have who maybe don't have that context as to what the problem is. So that's huge. Yeah, And, and, you know, in in a marketing role, it's always important to not only 
have those assumptions and hypothesis and look at the trends, but to actually validate that with the results. And so, you know, would you have any advice on how to kind of position that to someone in decision-making power, such as a board? Oftentimes Mm. the board has to approve, you know, certain uh, spending allocation on marketing communications. Yeah. So I have a particular example I'll speak to here. Um, A volunteer Toronto, this is pre-pandemic. We were trying to figure out what sponsorship, um, what would be equal sponsorship for an exchange for a booth at an event. So if Volunteer Toronto were to gain access to a free booth, what would we give in return? And what would be the value of what we would offer? And that was often communications assets. So I came up with this analogy where you know, social media data, for instance, or you could relate to web data or newsletter data as well, is very similar to an event. So, you know, you have people who buy tickets. Those people might be your followers. You Mm -hmm. have people who show up to the event. Those people might be your impressions. And then you have people who stop by at your actual booth. Those people are actually conducting engagements with you. So I've used this analogy in comparing digital data to a real tabling fair environment to communicate the value both in terms of sponsorship but also up the chain to different leadership. So if you're deciding how to um, value you know, social media or different digital marketing initiatives, that data, that impression data could be comparable to event data. And a lot of people kind of that connects the dots because in the sector, we're so used to those tabling or fair type of environments. Yep. Amazing. That's, you're kind of bringing these personal, personalized elements to the data. Because again, you're looking at numbers, it's hard to compare them side by side. And, And if anything, Sometimes the online version can actually be tracked more than yes. some of those in person because you lose a lot of that tracking uh, sometimes, right? Yes, for sure. Amazing. Um, so I'd love to talk about, uh, you know, we love to focus on showcasing impact and, and successes here. Um, with growth for good, that's the whole point, right? We want to amplify that impact. So are there any examples that you'd like to share uh, a recent win or a success story um, from your experience? Well, I am really proud of the media relations at Volunteer Toronto, particularly. Okay. Um, when I started at the organization, you know, six years ago, uh, we didn't have any media relationships. Mm. We weren't being called for any type of media coverage. And I felt like I was pitching often and maybe softer stories about volunteerism, but that wasn't really the thought leadership space that we wanted to play in. And so I think through relationship building, accessing networks, and constantly pitching uh, (laughs) and reacting to different angles and stories with different media outlets, I've built up these really strong relationships where to hit my media goals for the year, I don't have to be proactive necessarily unless I'm pitching like an op-ed and I want to secure that um, with a relationship. But for instance, like I can get 15 big media outlet calls per year um, reliably without having to do that proactive pitching. And that's purely because of that relationship building over the last five years. Amazing. Even yeah. this morning, I got a call from CBC okay. uh, to comment on the social capital study. And so I think uh, I'm really proud of where we've come in those six years with those relationships. For sure. I think media is kind of an underrated um, tactic because, again, sometimes it may seem very unattainable, but if you're looking to, 
position yourself as, you know, as an expert, as a thought leader, then, then like you said, you can have media come to you as opposed to constantly going out. Exactly. Exactly. Amazing. Um, when it comes to the specific, uh, channels and platforms that volunteer Toronto is, is using. Um, are there any that kind of stand out to you as, as there, has there been a shift over the last uh, few years? Yeah. So, um, I have a boring answer for you, (laughs) Daniel. I'm so sorry. The, the data shakes out that nothing compares to a personalized email, Mm. sending that to an individual with their information in it. As much as I would like to say, you know, whatever is going to replace Twitter or, (laughs) you know, that new technology or software, um, the personalized emails have been the most effective. And one of our trickiest audiences to engage is nonprofits who have very little real estate. So they have very limited time to engage with different things because they're so focused on service delivery. And when we're trying to engage with nonprofits, the email just cuts through, you know, <laughs> a branded newsletter doesn't do as effective as a job as when you put a person behind an email. Right. right. Yeah. I think that's huge. And that is something that, again, doesn't get as much attention, right? Yeah. Because people want the the uh, vanity metrics of how many times was something shared or retweeted, right? And yeah. how many views did it get? But you know, that one open of that one email could actually trigger a more impactful result. Yeah. Times, right? Yeah. And optimizing those subject lines yes. is a fun little game. <laughs> you know? Playing with open rates. I know that, uh, you know, there's a lot of stats about, you know, the typical open rates and they're a lot, a lot smaller yeah. than people would expect. Right. But mm-hmm. if you can continue to improve based on, like you said, maybe the frequency or what the subject lines are, how personalized they are. Um, you can really see a lot of success through email. So amazing. The best part about email is that it's not dependent on the algorithms or the yeah. changes, yes. as you mentioned, right? Yes, exactly. Um, uh, that being said, has there has there been anything that's shifted over the course of the pandemic with regards to how your organization has been communicating? Yeah, I think that during the pandemic, everything had to be time-stamped, which was a unique experience mm. as a comms professional <laughs> and things didn't really have a shelf life of longer right. than right. sometimes 24 hours sometimes a week whereas now I do sense that things are a little bit more evergreen so um right. the pace as to which things are changing and maybe as a nonprofit, you're commenting on safety precautions or um delivery of services and I do think that things are stabilizing a little bit which is nice as a comms professional <laughs> to not have to go back and and update constantly materials yep. Yep. um so there's a longer shelf life I also think there's a little bit of saturation which with uh digital communication so you know one of our target audiences is youth and we're noticing that our online referral sources or campaigns aren't performing as well as they have in the past two years. And so I just have this hypothesis as a calm scientist (laughs) that it's time to do some in-person engagement. Mm. It's time to print posters, do ads in person. It's time to network with school boards and get into the spaces that students are in that particular audience. So Um, less reliance on digital is where I think I'm at at this point in the pandemic. Amazing. I mean, and I've gone to kind of workshops and events at the Volunteer Toronto office pre-pandemic. So yeah. I can see how, you know, that's, that is super uh, impactful. I remember being on a couple of panels there actually and meeting so many great people face to face that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily have had the chance to connect with. 
exactly. online. So I think we're, we're seeing a, a great return to some in-person uh, engagement. And mm. even if it's smaller numbers, it's, it's that, you know, again, goes back to the quality uh, over quantity piece as well. Hopefully creating additional ambassadors there that can, that can share. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Amazing. So, um, you know, I know that you've uh, transitioned through a few different roles. You probably learned a ton on the job. Um, are there any kind of tips or best practices that you could share from a communications and marketing standpoint to other organizations? Sure. Um, I have two kind of phrases that I live by. One of them is that marketing is testing, and I think that goes to yes. some of what we're talking about today. With data, yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and being scientists like, um, or deriving hypotheses. And what that also does is take off some of the expectation or um, it demystifies that marketing is something that is 100% going to work 100% of the time, <laughs> right. right? And sometimes there's that pressure for those who aren't in the sector, whereas it is a little bit of science and art. And mm -hmm. so taking that um, expectation and just reminding yourself that it's testing and so long as you can learn from each campaign um, and you're proving that you're analyzing the results of that campaign for improvement, mm -hmm. that's, I think a good enough job, or at least that's what I tell the staff that I manage in communications. That That's a huge, that's a huge tip for sure. And sometimes you think that you always have to reinvent the wheel yeah. and it's great. So I think, you know, we look at it as uh, a great way to look at it as, you know, a percentage of your content and initiatives can be something new that you're testing and trying. And then you yeah. have those, that percentage of like the things that have proven to, you know, create success. I don't know if you feel the same way, but sometimes people just want to try things change everything for the sake of changing yeah. it, right? Yeah. But sometimes you have those things that are that are really working, right? And yeah. you may never know uh, what the impact would be is if you didn't try a little bit of anything. But you don't have to throw everything out, essentially, right? Yeah, I mean, we try to uh, focus on one variable at a time. So um, how do you know that that second emoji in the subject line converted better <laughs> unless that's the only thing that you changed yes. about your approach? Yes. Um, so we try to limit it to one variable. And if someone comes in and they want to see something drastically different, you can also lay out all the variables that you have tested to come to that culminating point where you know that this is the best for right now that you can produce. Yep. That's yeah. a great way to do it. Cause you have to know exactly what that change was. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, now when it comes to, you know, again, trying new things, um, choosing to be on new platforms, choosing new tactics, um, obviously you can't do all of it at once. Mm. Right. And sometimes, you know, you may have pressure from uh, external places saying you should try this or we should be on this platform. We should be on that platform. So do you have kind of a, a recommendation on how organizations can approach that or, or how do you decide where to go? Yeah, I, um, you know, this could be one of my successes, I feel, because I think that the staff of Volunteer Toronto are starting to adopt my approach here okay. to this challenge where I'm looking at our website data as the core of mm -hmm. our effectiveness in marketing communications. So often all those other channels are trying to drive people through to your website, which is where your core call to actions live. Yep. Uh, I like to look at Google Analytics and particularly our referral data. So what that tells us is how what percentage of people are coming to our site from social, from newsletters, from... Um, direct links from referrals, uh, from yep. organic and paid search. And I can basically 
prioritize based on that or the likelihood to grow those different buckets. Right. So one of the really exciting rows in there is, um, I think it's called direct links or referrals. Mm -hmm. And basically those are links on other people's sites that link back to your site. Now we can look at those and find strategic opportunities like, oh, the province of Ontario is sending a thousand people to our website a month. Yeah. We didn't ask them to do that. <laughs> so, but that's a huge valuable yeah. like flow. So how can we build that relationship or find other similar um, link backs in yeah. order to drive that mass amount of traffic versus focusing on improving, you know, the 5% of social media traffic that you get to your site. <laughs> right. Let's grow the direct traffic because there's more potential and it's more sustainable. Amazing. And and perhaps even looking at, you know, what the goals are as well, right? If it is website traffic because that's what's actually performing best and you're seeing more people signing up or you're seeing more people subscribing for your newsletter, for example, versus you may have a certain initiative that's about awareness or education mm. where it's not necessarily about the clicks or the signups, but it's about the reach that that content got, right? So ah, I guess yes. maybe looking at adjusting the, the goals and the metrics um, per campaign, right? Yeah, and that goes back to kind of identifying what the problem is. Right. Is it traffic or is it conversions? And sometimes you're right. It's not just about traffic's traffic for conversions mm. it's about traffic for perception yeah um and really interesting at volunteer toronto we've tried to harness uh the perspective that people want to volunteer during the holidays and you know they mm -hmm. do it once a year and we've done campaigns where we're just trying to coach and train people on the fact that volunteers are needed year round not right. just for one day during you know christmas eve or whatever at the shelter yep. that's not really how meaningful volunteerism happens so that's an example of the campaign you're talking about in terms of perception that's important for sure um, I'd love to know if there's uh, any sources of inspiration, education, whether it's books, blogs, podcasts that you turn to um, that maybe you recommend others uh, look at as well. Uh, if you aren't following VU from Nonprofit AF, you oh, need yes. to. You have <laughs> to just for the comedy alone and the the um, like. It's such deep, meaningful content, and I often reference VU's blog. Um, just for like understanding something, how I'm going to approach a strategy, like kind of giving me some, some words or like thoughts before I even get into the tactical bits, like just perception on different right. issues. Um, and then the comedy that comes through in his writing as well. And that's particularly for the nonprofit sector. In terms of marketing communications, though, I honestly just digest a lot of content, as much content as I can. <laughs> you know, I really want to unsubscribe from way more newsletters, but I, even if I'm not interested in the subject matter, I'm learning from how, you know, a for-profit or a retailer is using different communications and applying that to Volunteer Toronto when I can. Amazing. I think that's one of the underrated uh, things, which is looking at, you know, cross-pollination from other sectors and not seeing, not keeping nonprofits or charitables in a bubble, right? Yeah. Because we don't just need the tips for charities and nonprofits. We need the tips that work in general because ultimately every organization is competing with every other brand out there for that yeah. attention, right? So I think that's, that's great that you turn to those resources. Now, we're going to wrap up with uh, a piece of advice that you could share. I know you're, um, you know, recently becoming uh, an executive director as well. So um, what's one piece of advice that you would give to leaders uh, in the nonprofit sector? 
I, I, you've summarized it before with quality versus quantity, <laughs> but my, my advice is to do less, but not do less in terms of do less <laughs> impact. <laughs> it's more do more, but be strategic about it. So right. don't, don't try all of the tactics, be really refined yeah. in terms of which ones are going to meet your goals. So you're not overwhelmed in the quantity of work perhaps, but you're really strategic about the, your decisions. And in that way you're doing less, but you're doing more. Right. I think that's a huge one. <laughs> Cheesy, but. <laughs> and, and you know, one of the recurring themes on this show uh, has been about the amount of burnout that takes place in yeah. the sector. So I think that's one way to also avoid that, which is do less things, well. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Danielle. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Growth for Good. The show is presented by Daniel Does and produced by Creator Club in Toronto. You can find notes, links, and more about my guests at danieldoes.co, where you can also learn about ways we can collaborate. Feel free to connect with me anytime on LinkedIn or Twitter. If there is someone from the sector that you'd like to learn from or you'd like to be interviewed on the show, feel free to reach out to team at danieldoes.co. If you're considering creating a podcast or video series for your organization, connect with Creator Club at creatorclubstudios.com.